My mom was only able to secure two tickets. So she dropped off my brother. I was nine and my brother was six. And she took us to the, I think it was like the Wichita Coliseum, I remember. And she somehow convinced a security guard to let her walk us to our seats, even though she didn't have a ticket. She dropped us off, asked the people around us if they could keep an eye on us and that she would come back to get us after the show was over. I'm Nick Harcourt, and this is The Sound of Success, a podcast about the music that has shaped the lives of the money, business, and tech world's most fascinating people. Join us each week as we hear about the songs and bands that left their imprint on the folks who shape finance. TikTok, you've heard of it. The addictive video sharing app that has captured the hearts of Gen Z and beyond is home to viral dance challenges, dinner recipes with cult followings, and even a video. Have you seen this one of a New York City woman finding another apartment behind her apartment, behind the actual medicine cabinet, I think, in her bathroom? Seriously. In addition to all that, though, TikTok has also had a massive impact on the music industry in the last couple of years. The platform has helped launch the careers of musicians like Olivia Rodrigo, And bands like Beach Bunny cast huge spotlights on artists like Lil Nas X, Megan Thee Stallion, uh, SZA, and tons more. It even helped Fleetwood Mac return to the charts in 2020 after that cranberry juice skateboarding guy video went viral. You've seen it. I know you've seen it. Joining us today on The Sound of Success is a woman who can tell you how and why this is all happening. Tracy Gardner is an executive at TikTok who has helped the app lean even further into the music world. And as a head of label licensing and partnerships at TikTok, she's negotiated global licensing agreements with record labels for the Chinese parent company ByteDance and their products. She's also responsible for the music strategy and business development behind TikTok, and in short, helps make the music you hear on this powerful app take off. Wow, that's a lot of information, but that's because you're really, really busy. Tell <laughs> us a little bit about what's been going on with uh, with TikTok so far this year, and thank you for doing the podcast, Tracy. Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So I think, as you know, you pointed out, the the platform is just changing. It's dynamic. It grows every day. So therefore, our role in music as part of the music team is changing all the time and working closely uh, on the commercial relationship with our labels, with artists. I think we're always looking for ways to support artists as much as we can. And I think that just involves the recognition that the platform is dynamic. It changes, the world changes even out of our control. So last year when the world was just going through a pandemic and No one really wanted that, but it did allow us to provide a platform for artists to connect with their fans through live streams that we put together within a week. I know we we held a bunch of events for teenagers that couldn't go to prom and so had Dylan Francis DJ for them. So because of how quickly the platform moves and the technology behind it and how the community changes, we are always constantly adapting as well to make sure that we are putting into place the right strategy and also just relationship wise with our label partners and our publisher partners as well. You know, I never really thought about this until I was just listening to you talking about uh, operating during the pandemic. Do you feel that that year, 15, 16 months, really amped up TikTok's ability, I guess, to develop in a weird way and break artists? Yeah, I think so. Again, you know, everyone would have preferred that this didn't happen, that kind of pandemic COVID-19 didn't happen. But I think we were happy for TikTok to be a place where not only artists could connect with their fans, but that also, you know, twofold, I guess. One was that artists were connecting with fans 
Secondly, then we were getting new, new types of creators and new types of fans onto the platform. And I think the really cool thing about it, mostly for seeing for me, and I think one, one of the artists that we work so closely with is Jason Derulo and how great he's become on the platform is that at a time when people wanted connection with authenticity, the creators on our platform felt like they could be authentic there more so than anywhere else on any other platform. You don't need a polished video to show to your fans for them to actually respond. And because so much of what TikTok is a two-way communication uh, platform, artists were making creations and, and challenges, fans were responding and then almost iterating upon that. So you saw trends would kind of go viral, but take a different life of their own as they circled through across the globe, across different demographics. So it, it definitely amplified just how people were able to speak to each other and engage. So I think that was great to see. And like I said, people were home a lot. So there, it was a place where people were going for cooking videos, for dancing challenges, do it yourself, so you name it. So in that sense, it was, it was great to see how the platform just developed week over week. Let me ask you this question, because we talked about the Fleetwood Mac song going viral all those years later, uh, and uh, there's been other opportunities for legacy artists and legacy music to find a, a new audience, as, as well as new artists. And we mentioned a couple of them who have you know, had their first uh, introduction to their fan base through, through TikTok. Is there any, um, do, do you see legacy music, uh, people gravitating to, towards that more than new music or, or vice versa? Because it's an interesting dichotomy, isn't it? Yeah, I think it has been evident that, I would say both, right? I think that's what's one of my favorite things about the platform is having worked at Warner for so long and being uh, very highly focused on streaming via Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, where if you look at the top 20 tracks in each country across the world, you, you see pretty much the same thing. And you have to dig a little bit deeper because playlists are often curated and edited in a way that it's more pop leaning, frontline leaning. So that's what's being fed again and again to just to listeners of, on those platforms. And then what we're seeing within TikTok is the democratization of music. And I know that's a pretty loaded word, but I think it very finely captures the fact that the platform is going to cater to you specifically as an individual. And it's not going to feed you the same creations with, you know, that have certain music that your neighbor does or that your mom does. And so I think with that, we are seeing songs that are over 40 years old being the top tracks not only within Spotify, sorry, within TikTok, but then also how they are translating to success off-platform. And the band had a resurgence, just even looking at the number of Spotify or Apple listeners that followed them. And then the new whole young demographic that was exposed to them. So in that sense, that would make, is so exciting for me to now be somewhere to see where the, the dynamics are shifting a bit, but in a good way. And that's allowing new music that might not otherwise be discovered from other countries, from unknown artists from like the Nathan Wellerman and the Sea Shanties. Who would have thought that Universal Music would be signing an artist that became famous from singing uh, songs that sailors used to sing while on, on boats years ago? So yeah. I think that's awesome. Well, you talk about streaming, and I guess at this point, when somebody finds something on TikTok, then they have to go to another platform if they want to stream it. So that begs the question, and I'm sure I'm not the first one to ask it, are there any plans for TikTok to get into the streaming business? So we do actually have right now, in a very sort of 
a nascent phase, uh, a platform called Rezo, that's our streaming service that's been live in Indonesia and Brazil. So I think what we're focusing on is trying to recognize the, the differences in where we have the most users and trying to build something from there to be able to then, yes, hopefully one day roll out something wider to the rest of the world, recognizing the importance of what how TikTok's role is in the ecosystem and how it's feeding back. People are going to ask Spotify or Apple to consume the full length and then they're learning songs on there that they're discovering, and then they're coming back to TikTok to make more creations around that. So it's definitely something that we're focused on. TBD kind of is how that starts to roll out, but I know that we have our conversations and about the importance of having even just the, for that view of the ecosystem and our position within that. What's the value to, to you, to TikTok, to break a new artist, to, to introduce a new artist that nobody has ever heard of until they discover them on TikTok? What's the value of that to the platform? Well, we think it's one of the, the greatest sort of values that we offer, right? Again, it's it's letting artists that have never been heard, you know, maybe from Nigeria or Indonesia, that suddenly becomes a viral track out of nowhere, but then maybe a, a DJ sort of remixes it. So I think it goes back to the two things about exposing people to music they might not otherwise be have seen, and then how a, a track can go viral on a global basis, but then also tied to supporting artists, supporting the creative community and allowing them to break down any sort of walls that they might otherwise need. Just even as the music industry has started to see a shift of more artists distributing themselves or distributing directly, working through independent distributors, I think there's just a recognition that there's a spectrum, right? There's your big superstar artists that perhaps rely on their record label deals or have very established record label deals. And then you have your newer artists uh, that are just making songs in their bedrooms. And then from being on TikTok end up on the billboard charts, right? And the number of the number of tracks that went to number one spots on billboard last year uh, was huge. And most, and so many of them started on TikTok with the recognition the artist is out there doing promo work, the label is sure. doing a lot of work. But when you look at artists that weren't signed, then be, you know, land on the top number ones. And I think that speaks for itself. And the value to us to be able to be that platform is huge. And one of, I think, our biggest prides to be able to be a part of that cycle. Two final questions before we start to talk about your music. Let's, <laughs> let's think about um, two, two things that, you just, that you, we've just uh, discussed briefly. One would be from the point of view of aspiring musicians who are trying to get a break on TikTok. I, I know you get to ask, you're like me, you get the same questions over and over again, but I haven't heard your answer to this one. So if I'm an aspiring musician, I've got some songs and I want to try and, you know, get them on TikTok. How, how do I go about that? It's simple. You could just get them on TikTok. You can upload them um, to as part of your creation, right? So once a song is included in a creation, then others can use that, that sound. You know, of course, it. if it's, you can't upload licensed music, that's then recognized as being owned by the labels but if you sure. have a song that you just want to sing uh in your bedroom with your guitar and then what that sound you know the spinning disc at the bottom of the creation users can click on it and continue then to make a creation off of that and that's actually how we see most of our trends going viral is this the community jumping on uh for more for artists that do have sort of a more formalistic approach you know they of course are the general aggregators like TuneCore, DistroKid, uh, Fuga that we that we have partnerships as well. So to the extent there are those more sort of next level independent artists that 
want to distribute on a greater scale, all of these distributors offer the option to then distribute content through TikTok. So if I'm distributing my music through TuneCore, I have an option to have it included on TikTok and it's distributed there, and then it's available for people to, to use it in their own creations, right? Exactly. So it'll be both if someone's either you know within the library, if someone's making it within TikTok, uh, then that is a song that could be searched and then added to the creation or separately. I, as a user, see that someone has uploaded, that someone has made a creation with this song, and then I can just click on the sounds button to use this sound to make a TikTok right there as well. As you mentioned, it's been a very dynamic platform for the last year or so in particular, and, and no doubt will con continue to be so. As you look ahead into this year, perhaps more next year, how do you see the platform continuing to, to develop, not just with music, by the way, but you know, in general? Yes. Yeah, so with music, I think we've found that the, the live streaming with the artist being able to reach their fans directly will continue. But even more interestingly, in ways that aren't that aren't purely music, right? Not necessarily your traditional music show. I think we have sound off where then users are, are an artist can go on and you might watch them cooking or you might get into the process behind how they create music as opposed to them just getting up there and performing. So I think as TikTok lets people, fans start to know their artists more and more and inching closer and closer, they want to know more than just the, the music, right? They want to know more about the artist. And so making sure that we're providing options for that as well. And then I think we, again, just looking at how people start to interact. So cooking became such a big thing on TikTok that people were being fed videos again and again on these great, what looks awesome recipes. But what we recognize is that because it is a short form platform, people were missing out on the opportunity to share recipes or to provide a fuller length do-it-yourself tutorial. So we, we created what are called jumps or anchors so that then if I'm creating a, a recipe on in a creation on TikTok, then I can add a little anchor or what we call jump that then takes the user to whisk to get the full sort of recipe. So it's kind of still within TikTok, but it's giving them a bit more detail than what they might otherwise receive in being in TikTok. So I think there's that. But I think just going back to sort of the music part, I think the fact that we are more looking at how creations are made and how users are expressing their sort of love of music by making a creation, I think is something that's unique to just the general music industry system in general. When you hear about, or, you know, a lot of deals are done on the basis of streams or what a user listens to. And here in our platform where it's an algorithm based and people are being fed creations, we think it's important to recognize. And what we recognize is that people are actually speaking to the valuation that they have on a song by making a creation. So it's a little bit of a different way of looking at the sort of value that you put on a certain track that's played or used in a creation versus sort of uh, stream. So, you know, I think that, and then we're just constantly finding new features. There's the duet feature that we've included so that you can sing along, which means I can make a creation that then is put right aside my favorite artist version of that song as well. So it's, I think the cool thing is just how quickly we adapt and then the platform shifts and, and then also just how the, it's a global platform. So again, going back to what I said, a song in Nigeria could take off. Whereas perhaps last year you wouldn't have seen it go viral as quickly as you could here. And it's just opening that door, I think is going to just get wider and wider and seeing a lot more of new, uh, new genres from new countries bubbling to the top.
I think that the opportunity to discover music from other cultures is really my favorite part about TikTok, to be quite honest with you, that I get introduced to something I would never have imagined having in front of my face. Yes, I know. I know. We love tracking. We love looking at the top creations as the music team does each month or each week and seeing Ooh, which, which one is an old catalog song? Ooh, this one came from the Philippines or, or even seeing trends, for example, you know, there was, I think a, an older song and I forget which song, it was a 1990s, let's say R&B track that then just got a resurgence in Philippines of all places. So it was an Anglo-based track, you know, from an artist in the US that then just one reason or another just went viral in the Philippines, which then had an impact on the rest of the world and the track going viral. So it's, I think we're always, happy and excited to, to be constantly surprised by the platform. Fantastic. If you're just joining us, I'm Nick Harcourt. And on this week's edition of The Sound of Success, our guest is Tracy Gardner. And you've just heard her talking about her job at TikTok. And now we're going to ask her about the music that she likes. So let's just jump straight into it, Tracy. Your first musical memory, the first time that you were ever aware of music being around you because it got into your brain. Yes, I remember being a small, small girl, and uh, I'm from Kansas, and Gloria Stefan and the Sound Machine, the Miami Sound Machine had come to perform, and my mom, who is from uh, Nicaragua, and her sister, and I think probably maybe my uncle and my older sister all went to go see this, and I think I was maybe three or four years old, and my mom had just made her way to push us to the front of the crowd, standing right there at the front of the stage. So I think with her Latin background and how much she loves music, I was just something that was very early on in my life. And you know, Saturday mornings, she would turn on the stereo, crank Latin classic salsa music. She loved like Victor Laveau or Hector Laveau, Tito Puente, Celia Cruz, Luis Enrique, those types of artists that she could just dance to. And she loves dancing, loves crazy dancing. So I, <laughs> I remember just early morning Saturdays that. And then I also have an older sister and she was a teenager when I was young. So all the classic, you know, 80s, Cyndi Lauper, Whitney Houston, Lionel Richie, Taylor Dane, all of those. So I was definitely a child of the 80s and that had that both the influence of my older sister who was a teenager and then my mom with the Latin roots. So there was a lot of salsa dancing in the house for sure. There's a great mix, obviously, with the <laughs> 80s stuff as well as the, the Latin music. And I want to come back and talk a little bit more about dancing and actually yeah. about shows. But did you just tell me that you were at a concert at the front at the age of three or four <laughs> with your mom? I think you did, right? Yes, yes, That's yes. So she unbelievable. Was... No wonder that left an impression. Yes. And I think that kind of just carried on through my entire life. And that's kind of why I am where I am today was just the love of music. And then I think even early on when I was younger, she put me in pageants and singing was my talent. I won't sing for you here to oh, make sure on, that please. your listeners don't leave the podcast. But <laughs> then, then I think, and I continued to do plays even when I was younger, going on to do sort of musical theater and then didn't really continue into college. But my freshman year at NYU, I got my first sort of foray into the real music business. I went to NYU. I knew I wanted to do international business. Always had, a, like I said, you know, interest in music and media and tech. And I got my first internship at Warner Brothers Records my freshman year of college. So that was definitely an eye-opener and seeing artists coming through the hallways and just sure. mostly having some great mentors and actually seeing as well just entertainment lawyers finding that was so interesting that represented ours that that led me to want to be a lawyer went to law school and then actually started my career 
after I was at a, a major law firm for a few years at a Warner Music Group as a lawyer handling the opposite side of the deals that I do now. So it definitely has impacted my direction of my career for sure. Fascinating. Let me ask you this question. Do you remember the first music you bought with your own money? I, I do. I think it was probably, though, one of those Columbia House Records things that... Oh, I where you I get think, like yeah, a whole you, bunch for a dollar or something? Yeah, yeah. I think you had to pay for the postage and you get eight CDs for a cent. And right. it, you were better off getting the eight. If you didn't get the full eight, they charge you full price for the CD. So I think I called when I was young, I didn't have a credit card. And I think I called and pretended to be my mom. <laughs> and she, so then they were surprised when they found that got this bill for CDs that they never ordered. It was a very eclectic mix, but I think I remember even like Nirvana was in there, not, you know, Nine Inch Nails. So ones that I'm glad I ended up getting, but again, it was sort of, I'm, I'm sure I probably had a friend who was guiding me around <laughs> down the path of, of Nirvana and Nine Inch Nails, but I was thankful for it. So yeah, that would have been the first one for sure. Yeah. You mentioned just a, a moment ago, going to a um, Gloria Estefan concert when you're like three or four, what's the first concert you went to without your parents? This is actually, well, it was New Kids on the Block, which I loved because I was an 80s child, but my mom was only able to secure two tickets. So she dropped off my brother. I was nine and my brother was six. And she took us to the, I think it was like Wichita Coliseum, I remember. And she somehow convinced a security guard to let her walk us to our seats, even though she didn't have a ticket. She dropped us off, asked the people around us if they could keep an eye on us and that she would come back to get us after the show was over. So, <laughs> mom, you can well, have my kids, would you? Yeah, also different times. So I don't yeah. think anyone would be doing that today. And I remember my brother and I just having so much fun standing on our chairs, holding, because we were so little, holding each other's hands. And I think everyone around us just kept an eye on us, made sure no one took us or we ran away. So that was definitely a, a memory from early on as well. What do you listen to when you want to dance? We just talked about dancing and your mom dancing. What about you? If you feel like dancing, whether somebody's looking or not, who do you go to? <laughs> Probably the same, the classics and, you know, kind of Queen, Bowie, um, Shaka Khan, all the way up to then, like even David Guetta has become a favorite of mine. He was a Warner artist and I lived in London for seven years. So I think being able to go to Ibiza every summer and go to mm. some of his shows at Ushuaia when I think I went enough times that you could tell he had figured out the plane schedule so that he would drop a big beat like as the plane was coming over because it was outside around the pool. So, you know, like, I mean, just all of those, I think were, were just such unique memories and, and everyone just dancing all together. So anything for me that just has a good beat that makes me happy, I can dance to pretty much anything. I, I had a great, we went to a show the other day, just as things started to open up at, went to see Kygo in, in Aspen and, you know, at Belly Up, a small venue that holds maybe 400 people. And they were very strict about having had vaccines, having had negative tests. So that was nice just to get back to people being together and dancing and everyone was going crazy to sort of his tropical house remixes. Let, let's look at the opposite side of that coin now. What do you listen to perhaps when you're feeling a little sad or a little melancholy? I always used to love listening to like Alexi Murdoch, Orange Sky, and then Damien Rice, Cannonball, I thought were are just two sort of at the end of the night when, you know, you kind of just want to be in that chill mode, listening to that, to those songs that have such just meaningful, powerful words. So I think probably for me, it's going to be something that has 
impactful words that are meaningful to to me and then to whoever is singing the song. Yeah, and I, I, the two artists that I, I know very well as well, Alexi Murdoch and uh, Damien Rice, who both seem to have sort of like stepped away, at least for, uh, for the time being. Alexi yeah. in particular, I think, is in Greece or Scotland or something these days. But yes, a couple of great suggestions. Thank you. Um, yeah. What about artists that you love or an artist that you love um, that perhaps never got the big break, an artist that you thought was going to be massive and they just sort of never quite made the jump? Yeah, I think for me, again, it was when I was in London, seeing, being exposed to artists there that never, that might've been big, you know, in Europe or in the UK that never made it to big in the US. So for me, that was probably, I don't know if you remember Christine and the Queens, um, sure. love her. And I, you know, I almost hate saying that because she has had some great success. Yeah, they, they, they still might. So um, yeah. I would love to see even greater success. And I remember seeing her, it was her first show in London because Warner was doing a sort of a licensee conference where all the licensees come. And so she came over to perform and we all were just blown away seeing how she moves. She reminds me almost of her, her talent and her moves, like, you know, a female Michael ja Jackson just dancing across the stage. And I think seeing her live was just so magical for me while I was there and got to see her a few more times. And I'm just hoping that then she crosses over here. You know, I think even a lot of the, like the grime artists, like Stormzy, who I love, loved in the UK and was a big artist. He's had some success, moderate again, but it would be great to see him be able to sort of take off more internationally um, as with Christine. It's interesting though, because I think things are shifting. I've been around this uh, world for a little while as well. And I remember when the, uh, the first hip hop artists out of London were trying to break through here and actually going even further back with Blur. We all remember that oh, band yeah. Blur, right? Yeah. Yeah. These bands who just couldn't quite make the jump from the UK or in some instances from France or different territories. But it really does seem to have changed now. Like yeah. English accents are tolerated, as you can tell. <laughs> but even even regional accents are, are, are tolerated now. You would never have thought that the Arctic Monkeys would break because they had this strong Yorkshire accent. I right. don't think people will understand that outside. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, but it seems to be shifting. And I'm presuming that TikTok might have something to do with that as well. Yeah, definitely. I think we are seeing just more of an appreciation almost, right, for discovering the obscure and being able to then share with your friends or make a creation around that, that, that is a song that people can say, wow, I've never heard yeah. that, or that's really cool, or what can I do with that? So that is definitely a valid point. I think that is starting to make a bigger change now uh, and a lot more quickly than we'd ever would have thought. And we've also got a generation who are using TikTok who are much more open to discovery wherever it might be, uh, from where, oh, yeah. wherever in the world it might be. So oh, I think yeah. that almost, is yeah. almost even more so that it's cool to be able to find, be the person that found uh, a song that originated um, in, in, in Norway or in, yeah. in Thailand, you know, and being able to turn your friends onto that, I think is almost has a social sort of currency around it that kids are looking at in this way. I think the uh, K-pop breakthrough has a lot to do with that as well, because if you'd have asked people 10 years ago, if they thought K-pop would break through in the States, I can guarantee you there was not one music executive saying, yeah, let me sign them up. Exactly. That's a wonderful example. And I, BTS has been very, very popular on the platform. They actually even did sort of a fan, you know, they went out to their fans asking them to create, help them create the music video for uh, their latest release. And then they took the ones that they picked and then they made it as one sort of big montage of the best of these videos. 
which is again, a cool way for a fan to be able to engage with their favorite band in that way. What band uh, or artist is your guilty pleasure? <laughs> I think probably anything cheesy pop. I love Ed Sheeran, Justin Bieber, Taylor Swift, Katy Perry. I think all of those uh, that I'm probably, again, just more leaning more towards more music that makes me happy and that's uplifting as opposed to necessarily maybe some sadder music, which is also, again, beautiful. And, I, and there's the time and the place for it. But for me, I think that and then probably anything reminiscent of being on a beach like Bob Marley, UB40, Tropical House, like I said, brings back memories to, to being in a happy place on the beach with friends. So let me ask you on behalf of our audience, people who are listening right now, do you have a, a new discovery that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, when people were still meeting in person. Last year we had, I think just toward the right, before the pandemic, we had a big conference and with our music team and we created as part of sort of a, a get to know you exercise, everyone got up and presented a song that meant a lot to them or that best defined them. And then we put that into a playlist that everyone got to subscribe to on Spotify. And I think the one for me, which maybe it wasn't so much a new discovery, but that brought it back was like New Order Temptation. I remember my boss played that and actually had a great story about how blue eyes, green eyes, or, his, or gray eyes, his wife has like more gray eyes, and then their son was born at blue eyes. So I thought it was just a really cute, touching story behind and how much he remembered walking to college, listening to uh, New Order when he was younger. And so I think it, it brought that back into rotation for me, for sure. Um, it's Love New Order, thanks. I have one, one more question that I always ask at the end of uh, the, these conversations, because it's, you know, you've just given me 30 minutes of your time. We've just engaged each other and had a, a nice conversation. And I always like to think at the end of it, how do you feel? Good, good. It's, it's always, it's uplifting to be able to talk about just myself, but then also outside of the normal, you know, something different out sort of outside of the norm for my day to day and just talking about music. I mean, who doesn't love to sit and just to talk about music and uh, meet someone new that's interesting as well. So yeah, it's a good it's a good way to kick off the the week for me. I'm I'm very much enjoyed it. It's great talking to you. Thank you so much. I'm Nick Harcourt, and you've been listening to the Sound of Success, and I guess Tracy Gardner. Thanks. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for listening. The Sound of Success is produced by Elizabeth Thompson with myself, Nick Harcourt, for Spark Network. Our theme music is by Keita Klein. For more episodes, find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and at SparkNetwork.com.